Well, here we are again, talking about a Seahawks loss right after the game. What is that, five out of six now the Seahawks have lost? Uh, they dropped below 500 for the uh, first time in the second half of the season. Anyway, uh, they're now seven and eight. Still have a shot at the playoffs, uh, depending on which site you look at. Um, 538.com is the best one because you can play around with different scenarios and you can check boxes for all the other games the rest of the year to see how it affects the Seahawks um, if other teams win or lose. The Lions lost today. Giants were losing, but as uh, it's happening right behind me right now, if you're watching the live feed with four seconds left, the Vikings are lining up for a game-winning 61-yard field goal. Let's see if they hit it. Right down the middle, is it long enough? Wow. 61-yard field goal by the Minnesota Vikings. What is that? Who's that? Greg Joseph? Uh, that helps me in my fantasy league in the consolation bracket. So the Vikings, breaking news. The Vikings win, beat the Giants. So the Giants take a loss, the Lions take a loss. Um, that helps the Seahawks. But we're not here to talk about that. Right now, let's talk about this Kansas City game. Second coldest game in the history of, uh, uh, coldest road game in the history of the Seahawks franchise. Uh, the other one being, of course, 2016, that wild card playoff game, the Blair Walsh game at Minnesota. Um, here's the thing. I <laughs> I was going to try and find the soundbite from Dennis Green. Remember that? The, the classic uh, rant that he had post-game after they played the Bears. Uh, they are who we thought they were, right? This Seahawks team is who we thought they were going to be. There's talent. There are reasons to be optimistic about the future. There are things to like about certain position groups on this roster. The quarterback situation is is uh, provided a lot more clarity than we thought it would at this point of the season. And that makes the offseason even more um, intriguing and, and potentially, um, uh, potentially fulfilling. But it is a, it, it's an incomplete roster. It's a flawed roster and it's a very young roster as well. And along with that, you're going to get ups and downs. You're going to get good and bad. You're going to get games that have multiple storylines woven into them. And sometimes the, the final score isn't the most important thing. This game, coming out of the break, the Seahawks have very much shown us on a week-in, week-out basis exactly who they are. It's looked a little bit different each week, but the bottom line's the same. There are... There are position groups on this roster that just aren't good enough to compete week in and week out against the good teams in the NFL. And that can't be fixed until the offseason. Can't be fixed with execution. Can't be fixed with, with scheme changes. But it's the NFL. And you still have to just play well week in and week out. And what we've seen these last couple of weeks are that as the season has progressed, teams, teams get to know each other better. They have more film. They have a larger sample size. And they know what your weaknesses are and how to attack them. And right now, the biggest weakness I'm going to talk about today with the Seattle Seahawks isn't the defense. It's the interior offensive line. And I'll just say the offensive line as a whole. Because we are starting to see, as, as good as Charles Cross and Abe Lucas have been this season as rookies, they are still rookies. And they show it from time to time. And it's remarkable what they've done. And the future is bright as it could be. But when you go against a team like this, Frank Clark and Chris Jones and, and, and the San Francisco 49ers the, the week before, and even some of those guys, that 
that the Carolina Panthers had. And oh my goodness, here come the New York Jets with Quinn and, Quinn and Williams. Um, teams just, they know that that's the Seahawks' weak spot. That's their Achilles heel. Particularly Austin Blythe, right guard Gabe Jackson. And some people think Damian Lewis is playing well. Some people think he isn't. It's hard to tell. <laughs> it's hard to tell when, when Austin Blythe is getting picked on and steamrolled play after play after play in the running game and the passing game. It's hard to judge how well those guards are doing. Um, but that's the Seahawks Achilles heel right now. And it's making life difficult for them. The offense is really broken right now. One general observation I'll make about today too, and then we'll get into some more specific things is that I don't think the last couple of weeks have been, um, have been a bright spot on Shane Waldron's resume. Um, what we saw in the first half of the season was creativity and a lot of diversity. What we're seeing now in offense, especially early in games, it seems like they, they adjust late. You know, Seahawks were very, for the most part, pretty good on offense after the first quarter against the Niners last week, week and a half ago. And today against, against a, a Kansas City defense ranked 24th overall in DVOA, but, but there's talent on that side of the ball, especially up front, that they did some things as the game went along. We'll get to those numbers in a minute. But early on, it just didn't seem like they had a plan. And it feels like to me when I watch this team on offense right now, like they're a little, they're a little arrogant. Like the way they come out to start games, that opening script is so conservative and, and so vanilla that it, it, they, it just seems to me that they feel like they can just go up against a, a team like Kansas City with their front seven and go toe-to-toe -to -toe with them. Uh, and they can't. Um, without Tyler Lockett today, thought we'd see a lot more usage of the tight ends. We didn't until the game was was out of reach late. Um, thought maybe they would involve Kenneth Walker a little bit more in the passing game. They didn't. Thought maybe we'd see some more rollouts and designed runs for Geno Smith. We didn't. Um, thought maybe we'd see more of that bunch three tight end set. We didn't. So uh, in the running game early was hard to watch. In fact, uh, if you follow me on Twitter at Seahawks forever, I was, it was a really frustrating half of football to watch Kenneth Walker, his tendency to bounce things outside and not just go North and South. were really glaring on a couple of runs, but that changed. And we'll get to that in a second. So, uh, Seahawks were down early in this one and it started great. They, they won the toss, they deferred and they forced a three and out for Kansas city. And then they just couldn't get anything going on offense until the end of the first half. By this point, Kansas City's already up 14, 14 to 0. End of the first half, they got something going, and they put a nice drive together. 32-yard, uh, beautiful throw down the sideline. Absolute dime from Geno Smith uh, to DK Metcalf. One of those NFL throws that I judge rookie quarterbacks by when I'm, when I'm scouting film. That you had to throw it in front of the initial defender, or in front of the safety and over the initial defender, the corner, uh, guarding him down the sideline. Beautiful throw and catch. And then, however, and this is one of, one, of, one of the plays that stands out to me in this game and leads into the point that I want to make, is there was a lot of talk going into this game about how DK Metcalf was going to have to step up in the absence of Tyler Lockett. And he did some good things. He had that catch I just talked about. Seven catches for 81 yards. Had a couple other plays where he's, guys are all over him and he's jumping up to make plays. Had a couple third down conversions. But they get inside the red zone and Geno threads an absolute dime to DK. Very reminiscent 
of the game winner against the Rams. Middle of the field, by the goalpost, threads it into a tight window, a throw that maybe 10 quarterbacks in the NFL can make and maybe 10 quarterbacks in the NFL even attempt. Puts it right in DK's hands. DK's hands are so much improved this year. That's what makes this next part even, even so much more frustrating. And he doesn't get his feet inbounds. And if you go watch the play, watch it over and over and over and over again. That's a play Tyler Lockett scores on 10 times out of 10. There's no way you can watch that replay and say, eh, his momentum was taking him out of Nope. That's a lack of awareness. And, and maybe it's, I don't know. I don't know what his practice habits are, or if that's something in particular he works on, but he should. That should have been a touchdown. And it would have been 14 to 7 going into the half, getting the ball coming out of halftime. Whole different game. But it's not. They settle for the field goal at 17 to 3 at half. And then in the second half, guess what? The defense was good today, you guys, against the best offense in the AFC. Best team, I think, in the AFC. I'll take them over Buffalo right now. Maybe the best team in the NFL. Kansas City might be my favorite to win the Super Bowl right now. And you're playing at their ballpark in front of the loudest crowd in the league. Don't even get me started on that. On an ice cold day. Like this is typical, this is Kansas City life. And the defense held up well. First three Kansas City drives in the second half, they had to punt. Let's look at the numbers overall for the game. Uh, With, hold on a second. Okay. Uh, In the second half, up until the eight-minute mark in the fourth quarter, eight minutes left to go in the game, in the second half, Seattle had seven first downs to Kansas City's one. Kenneth Walker got going. They started running more off tackle, it looked like, instead of up the middle. And maybe they had a talk with him at halftime. I jokingly tweeted, maybe he read my tweets at halftime. He started cutting up and going north-south. He finished with 26 carries for 107 yards. So as critical as I am of Shane Waldron today, some of his uh, third and fourth down calls, lack of creativity at the beginning of the game, and maybe this is one of those classic moments where Pete Carroll went to him in halftime and said, run the goddamn ball. Run the fucking ball. They did. They stuck with it. 26 carries for 107 yards for Walker. He looked really good. Even though it doesn't look like his ankles 100%. There was one play he broke outside after getting some yardage inside. Uh, I think it was a 15, 16, 17 yard run. And it, he kind of ran out of bounds at the end. It looked like he just didn't quite have that long range finishing speed that he does when he's healthy. And took this one out of bounds. But a good game for Kenneth Walker. Really bounced back in the second half. Um, They forced three three and outs by that Kansas City offense. First time all year that any team has done that to them. Total yards. Seahawks outgained Kansas City 392 to 297. First downs. Seattle 19. Kansas City 14. They outrushed Kansas City 133 to 77. You know, it was uh, 17 to 10. Late, right? Uh, Gino led the Seahawks down uh, on a touchdown drive. Hang on, I want to make sure I'm not misspeaking. Uh, yeah, got it to 17. Uh, no, 17 to three. Um, that was it. Okay. Had to remind myself. So it's 17 to three all the way through up until about halfway through the fourth quarter. Seahawks go on a drive, nine plays, 33 yards. And Gino throws an interception. At that point, they're moving the ball. 
Um, it's hard to tell what happened on this play, but it's it's interesting to me that most of the reaction I saw on Twitter seemed to be forgiving of Geno Smith. He throws the ball to the to the back flag of the end zone, and it gets picked easily by Juan Thornhill, their safety. Uh, he was trying to hit Marquise Goodwin. Uh, there was there was preliminary coverage, and it looked like Goodwin cut his route off, and Geno expected him to run to run to the pylon. Duty pulling power. Hold on. <laughs> oh, you got to love the autoplay on the ESPN website, right? So we'll just close that. Um, it sure did look like Gina was expecting him to go to the pylon, but here's 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 my take on that play. Even if he had, even if Goodwin had kept that route, it's five nine. We've seen him extend and and catch some 50-50 balls last year, but against Thornhill there with a corner on him as well, I don't I don't know. It was kind of a desperate time, you know. Maybe they score on that drive, makes it 17 to 10. And then, and then Kansas City just put the, put the game away. Two big plays back to back to Kelsey um, as they go for the jugular. Maybe the Seahawks came out expecting them to run the ball and run the clock down. Kansas City took advantage of that and just went down the field, made it 24 3. Then another touchdown drive um, that ended up with a touchdown to Noah Fant. And the final score ends up being 24 to 10. Um, again, the stats favored Seattle. So what was the difference in the game? Situational football. It's situational football. And this is why I want to use last week's game as, as an analogy. Again, very, very similar in my mind to the 49er game. A lot of people look at that 49er game and say, ah, it ended up being a one score game, but it really wasn't. They really kicked their ass for four quarters. No, they didn't. They did for the first quarter, and I outlined on the reaction show last week how the last three quarters really favored the Seahawks. It, it's five or six game plays within a game that change the course of the game and give you a chance. You can make that argument in the Raider game, the Carolina game, the 49er game, and this game. But this game was the most glaring example of it because the stats favor the Seahawks. Time of possession. Seahawks had 35 minutes of possession in this game. They won the time of possession. They outrushed them. They weren't, they, they didn't beat them on third downs, but they held, where's that? Where did I have that number? They held Kansas city. Oh, for crying out loud. I thought I had it written down. Uh, it was something like uh, two out of 14. No, that was our number two out of 14 on third down. But I think they held Kansas city to three third downs. Seattle went for it on fourth down six times, only made three of them. There were some key plays where penalties killed big gains. There was a key play where Bruce Irvin was in the neutral zone, nullified a sack. There was the play that DK missed where he should have got his feet down. There was a miscommunication in the pick by Gino. There were just a number of times in this game where... The Seahawks didn't execute and they got beat by the Chiefs. But they really hung with the best team in the AFC on their field on a cold day. So what does this mean? It means that they're a young team. A young team with some flaws on the roster that can't be fixed until the offseason. So what does that mean for the last two, two weeks? This team still has a chance to make the playoffs. Let's pull it up right here. Let's look at 538 because they update this thing live. So. As we sit here today after that result, the Seahawks playoff chances are 32%. 
if you look ahead to what some of the other teams have going on, uh, the Giants play Indianapolis next week. The Lions play Chicago. And then they finish at Green Bay. Who knows if Green Bay is going to you know, play all their guys in that game or really give a good effort. They, they usually do, though. They count on it. I think it's in Green Bay, too. So that's a tough game for the Lions. The Giants finish at Philadelphia. Again, we don't know. Is Gardner Minshew going to play Jalen Hurts? Are they going to play all their guys? Are they going to have everything wrapped up? The Commanders. They play the 49ers still this weekend. That's likely a loss. If we give them a loss alone, that jumps Seattle's uh, playoff chances up to 37%. But here's the thing. Uh, And notwithstanding any of the other games, if the Seahawks win their last two games, their playoff chances increase to 83%. There is still an opportunity. Question that I would ask you, the listener and the viewer, is do you want them to make the playoffs? Do you care about them making the playoffs? Would it change your view of what this team is and where it's headed if they did? My opinion is I could go either way. Again, as you've heard me say on the show a number of times this year, I sat and watched that game today with kind of a casual, not casual, a curious wonderment. How are they going to react to this? How are they going to stand up to this team in these conditions? Down a couple of their best players. Ryan Neal didn't play together on or play today on defense either. You had Tease Tabor out there and um, um, and the, the kid that they picked up uh, from Green Bay, the former um, Jonathan Abram was playing, made a couple of plays today. Didn't have Ryan Neal. Uh, That defense still played well. Can they put it together against a team that they're more equally matched with talent-wise? Because here come the Jets. Have you watched that team lately? They got some good players on defense, but they've been giving up some yards and points, and their offense is abysmal. They can't run the ball. And even if Zach Wilson isn't the starting quarterback, that offense doesn't seem very potent. And the Rams are a shell of themselves. We know that. They've shut Aaron Donald down for the year, Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, Allen Robinson out for the year. They just don't. They've lost their dynamic playmakers outside of Jalen Ramsey. So there's still an opportunity here. Do you care more about the draft pick selection? Is picking three or four spots higher more important to you than having this team go 9-8? and eight? To me, I could go either way. I really don't care what the final score of these last two games is. I do think that you cannot underestimate how valuable the experience could be to these young players to make the playoffs going into next season and have that uh, be in their back pocket. But I don't think it matters at all. Um, At that range in the first round, that's where you start to drop off and, and you get to the end of most teams' first round grades, 15, 16. So if you're drafting 18 versus 15, is it that big a difference? If you listen to my mock draft show with Michael Thompson last week, um, you know my thoughts on the back half of the second round or the back half of the first round. It's full of position groups that aren't really a glaring need for the Seahawks and some of the value at the positions they need are more towards the top of the second round. So maybe you trade down from that point. It doesn't matter to me. I am curious about how that top pick is going to go. The Lions losing today uh, helps that. Um, Sorry, I've been battling a cold this week as all of us have. So I'm just going to watch these last two games, enjoy the heck out of it, and just see where it goes, and let's get on with the offseason. But I'm here to tell you that the sky is not falling. It's not doom and gloom. The things that we like about this roster aren't any different now than they were six weeks ago. They're not at all. My feelings on Geno Smith haven't changed today from what they were six weeks ago at all. 
And we'll get more into that subject as we get uh, moving ahead in the next couple of months. So, you know, a loss is a loss. It's a loss we expected. It happened probably about the way most of us expected. And I actually take some positives away from today. So, and we saw, these are some of the same positives we saw against 49ers. The difference was 49ers had a couple of explosive plays early in this game that tilted the balance in their favor. Kansas City really didn't have any explosive plays, really kept Mahomes in check until that last drive where he hit Kelsey a couple of times. And again, I think that was them catching the Seahawks off guard. So I still look at, at, at this as just another brick in the wall and another step in this process. Um, so that's where I'm going to leave you today. Uh, next week, um, subscribe to the podcast so you get notifications of new episodes. I'll be along to do a preview of the Jets game. Dana will have her episode this week as well. Um, and read the stuff on field goals. Man, they're going to break all this down. They've probably already got some stuff up there to read now. And uh, follow them on, on Twitter as well, at field goals. I am Dan Viennes, at Seahawks Forever on Twitter. Talk to you in a couple of days. Until then, go Hawks. And Merry Christmas. How can I forget that? Merry freaking Christmas, everyone. Have a good one.